This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to the Smart Money Podcast, a series of financial tips for different life stages. Get your money right for your life. This podcast is brought to you by Discovery, and I am Maya Fisher-French. And each week, we chat to a money expert to find the answers to those pressing financial questions. So up till now, our podcasts and financial tips have been looking at the creation of wealth. But preserving that wealth, both for yourself and, of course, the generations to come, is also an important part of money management. So today, we're chatting to financial advisor Peter van Beek about the things you need to know about growing and protecting your wealth. Welcome, Peter. Good morning, Maya. Now, Peter, I know that your son is a matric this year, so that is probably what's keeping you up at night. <laughs> but what are the major concerns of your clients who've accumulated wealth and obviously want to preserve it, especially in the South African climate at the moment, politically and economically? Maya, I think it's very important for this South African wealthy to understand that keeping their money is more of a challenge now than it ever was, not only locally but globally. There's global uncertainty, and we can't see ourselves as being unique in this. Emerging markets perhaps, but America, China, all of these add a, d- a d- degree of uncertainty. We have a state duty that one has to worry about, death taxes. You've got rental properties. Is it a good idea? Is it a bad idea? Property prices are coming down, but there's still need for rental in, um, r- rental properties. If you buy property, is it a liquid asset? No, you have to dispose of it over time, etc. So those are real concerns for for local. Hmm. And I mean, also, of course, around estate, you should be seeing so much new legislation, potential legislation coming out, a lot of recommendations um, around it. So I suppose trying to plan wealth taxes, is there going to be a wealth tax? Is capital gains tax going to go up, dividend tax? So are these kind of some of the issues, you know, you've made your money and you don't mind paying tax, but there's there's a lot of uncertainty coming. You know, I think p- people need to be aware of what's happening. If we just simply look at the old parking place of assets, um, the, the traditional trust, trusts have become more and more difficult to actually hide wealth in. So people need to make long-term decisions based on information at hand today, but also understand there is a legacy of changes to what the norm is. So prepare in advance and be liquid enough that you can make moves Timelessly, so that you're not going to be caught out. So, you know, we're talking about uh, wealth preservation, but you're also obviously wanting to be gro- growing your capital. So how do you do that whole sort of risk on risk off thing? How much, you know, do you do you invest for, for capital growth and how much do you invest to preserve uh, for the future? Diversification, sure. It's very important. You have to diversify. But you also need to understand that you can over-diversify. I saw a chap yesterday whose portfolio was so diversified that to make head or tail of it, I battled. I wonder how he he managed. So you've got to be very careful that you don't over-diversify, but also understand that diversification is critical in terms of avoiding one asset class and also trying to be too conservative because you have timelines that you have to look at. So if you want to be sure of a return, you're not going to get a higher return. So it's all risk versus reward. So be sure that you can split it and be comfortable over the long term because in the short term, people tend to be very aggressive investors when the markets are good. 
And then they bitch in the in in the downtime. Well, I think that's the problem, isn't it? They tend to be overexposed when markets are good, which is actually not the time you should be going into the market risk on. You and and yet when t- times are tough, that's when everybody goes and 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 puts their money all into cash. When actually you probably have the best opportunities out there. Yeah, they get it wrong. Timing the market as opposed to time in the market. I think the problem that people face is knee-jerk reactions to downturns. You cannot make money when you sell low and buy high. So reverse that psychology. When times are looking bad, have a look for value. And in, you spoke about diversification and the importance of diversification. So diversification means, you know, the shorter term money you will put in lower risk, perhaps your, your longer term money, you can take a bit of a risk. But where in all of this, and especially for the higher net worth individual, does offshore diversification come in? Do not sell local assets and end up in a situation where you've been taxed on money that you move in offshore. That is a challenge that I've experienced. But for those that live abroad, it's very important that you have comfortable dollar exposure. And I mean dollar in, in, in the more global term. But if you ever look at Discovery as a, as a brand, they have a whole range of dollar-based products where you're actually able to invest directly into the currency. If you die, claims are paid abroad. Your retirement fund paid abroad. And you can also invest in, in, in recurring type investments and lump sum investments. The advantage of that is the money is actually offshore. So from a local point of view, you, you move in around the state duty um, conundrum and you're creating an asset for family and yourself abroad. And that's an interesting one because we, we also have this kind of concept of the global citizen. Um, people living well, in Cape Town, we call them the swallows. So they live six months of the year in Cape Town and six months of the year abroad. So what kind of financial planning elements should they have in terms of, of their wealth preservation and, and their wealth accumulation? Should they be sitting with all their assets offshore, some of their assets onshore? Again, I think it's important for them to understand what their long-term plan is. If they're simply hedging, then... Split it. Have something here, have something there. But I like the term swallows because they can flit either way. So they're clearly able to diversify more than the average South mm. African. So look at something abroad. I have a cousin that, that lives in, in, in Saudi Arabia and he's invested a lot of his money abroad. And when compared to how his local investments have done, it hasn't done as well. But he's got money offshore. And that is his big plus. I think that's a very key point. You know, we, we, a lot of South Africans, we have this continual South Africa is going to come, to, you know, it's going to collapse. <laughs> so we, we can put our money offshore. Or people think, let me put my money offshore because the RAND's going to weaken. And then they just sit in cash overseas. And I think the beginning of this year, the RAND was where it was in 2001. So that means that was your strategy. And you were sitting in a zero, practically zero interest rate bank account overseas. You've gone backwards, you know, significantly since 2001. And I think you were mentioning a little bit about a client you had to put all his money in Japan. South Africans have this yeah. tendency to, I think, underestimate or, uh, the, the rand or perhaps overestimate the depreciation. We as South Africans tend to have this whole knee-jerk reaction. It's so bad, I'm going to immigrate, I'm going to go and hide elsewhere. But if you have a look, since 97, when, when a, a client of ours went and put money into Japan, he hasn't recovered what he put offshore. And South Africa is still, if you have a look at our equities, they have outperformed most of the other equity um, markets in the world. So why would you want to go abroad? Yes, Rand Hedge 
We understand that. But understand that South Africa is still a good place to be. It's a good place to invest. And I suppose it also just needs to be a sound financial decision. It's got to be, I want diversification. It makes sense to have exposure to some of the, the global economy. But it needs to be done on that basis, doesn't it? Instead of like, oh, my goodness, the Ramaphosa effect, the Zuma effect, the this effect, the that effect. It, it actually just be an unemotional, rational decision, not based on sort of sentiment. Absolutely. I, I mean, I have a, a client who came into my offices in, in August of last year and cashed in half his pension fund, and he bought Bitcoin. Now, that was emotional. No. He bought it at 125-odd rand. It went up to 300. It's now sitting at 95. Do you know when he saw? Did he sell? You don't know. He's, I think he's too ashamed to actually come and talk to us. I don't know. <laughs> so I wanted to, that's an interesting thing. You raised Bitcoin. But, you know, alternative investment, uh, whether I don't know, people debate whether Bitcoin is an investment or a, a gamble. I don't know. Maybe we're not going to get into that now. But when you have, you know, you, you've accumulated a lot of wealth, you're a high net worth individual, you know, maybe your traditional kind of uh, unit trust fund is not going to be that exciting. There are a lot of other um, opportunities out there, maybe private equity. A lot of people invest in art. What would your advice be to people who want to diversify also into just perhaps alternative asset classes? I think it's very important that if you make that decision, know what you're getting into. Understand the product or the market that you're buying into. Art, if you are an art dealer or if you have close contact to somebody that understands art and you can be sure that you're either going to maintain value or improve the value, get involved. But if you're a speculator for the, from the sidelines and you don't know what it's about, don't do it. If you want to invest in wine, in my view, rather drink a good wine than try and invest in it. But that's my view. So if you find, find somebody that really understands wine and can, can turn it into an asset for you, fantastic. Cars, are they an investment? Some are. But you have to be in the right um, space at the right time to, make, to, to, to use cars as, as, as a real asset class. I buy old cars, but I enjoy driving them. So will I get a return on investment? Hope I break even. And I think that's important as well. There is sometimes in these asset classes, there's an enjoyment value. Art can be an enjoyment value as well. I'm enjoying it. I hope to make some yeah. money out of it. So there's a different purpose to the to it. So it could be either you're seriously about growing the capital or it, it, it's kind of a dual purpose. I think whatever you do, enjoy it. If you want to go into a cryptocurrency market, enjoy it. Don't do it because everybody else is doing it. If you want to buy a boat... I heard an old adage once that there's only two times that you're happy about a boat. It's when you buy it and when you sell it. <laughs> so if you're going to speculate with that, be sure that you're going to be happy in the in-between as well. Maybe go and borrow a friend's boat for a while and decide whether sailing's really your thing. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. <laughs> go and watch the Monaco Grand Prix from, this, from your boat. Yes. And I, I imagine that's also what happens. You get to a point where you sort of have these dreams that you've always had and then the reality comes along and you realize you're not actually that person that maybe you thought you were. <laughs> Very true. A client of mine's whole plan is to, be buy, to buy a yacht when he turns 56, sail around the world, and then sell the yacht. But is it real? Don't know. He's not 56 yet. <laughs> we'll soon he gets there. So obviously we've got all these different asset classes, but there's also an opportunity perhaps to invest in a, a business, maybe not even your own business, but a business opportunity comes to you. How do you decide um, you know, whether or not, where do you place that in terms of your risk profile? How much should you allocate? Or is it again about make sure you know what you're doing? Many years ago, a client of mine told me that his wife's full-time job was gambling. 
Okay. So understand that <laughs> this could be one of those moments. You're going to become a full-time gambler because unless you have expertise at it and you understand what you're getting into, be very, very careful. Business is great. It must either be, give you ongoing um, income and enjoyment or it must become a saleable asset later on. Mm. So be very careful that you're not simply parking money which could have worked better for you elsewhere. Mm. And I imagine that, you know, again, we spoke earlier about diversification, but, you know, when you've accumulated sufficient assets, there is that element of, of assets that you can put on at a high risk level because you have enough. You've done your plan. You know that you have enough of your, sitting in, in, in a pot of uh, relatively low risk that you can perhaps go out and find those little elements of enjoyment, you know, taking a stake in a business, watching it grow. But if you lose the money, it's okay. Again, it's a gamble. Buy a mm. racehorse. If you enjoy mm. ra racing, buy a racehorse. I don't know if it's going to be an asset, but just be very, very careful that you are not in a position that if something goes wrong that you have mm. to liquidate assets. Mm. I also wanted to, to, to just um, touch on tax because, you know, we – you should never invest – Make an investment decision to avoid tax. That's, that's sort of rule 101. But you also want to be tax efficient. As they say, pay unto Caesar only what is due unto Caesar. So how is a high net worth individual? Do you structure your, your investments, uh, to be more tax efficient? I think what you have to be aware of is that tax legislation changes. Times change. Laws change. So keep yourself abreast of what is happening out there. Understand that Capital gains tax is a reality in certain investment classes. Understand that. Understand that if you invest in certain invest, in investment or cash products, tax is levied in your hands as opposed to internally within the product. So possibly look at an endowment where you taxed at 30% as, a, as opposed to 45% in your own hands. But also do this prudently because if you make a decision today and you're tied in for the long haul and tax is going to bite you, it is going to affect your, your um, assets. So keep abreast. And, of course, um, liquidity um, in terms of those taxes, estate duty, that sort of thing. I mean, that's, that's going to be a very, very key part. I think you have mentioned, you know, liquidity is extremely important. It is important. I, ha I met somebody last week, in fact, who has a wonderfully um, structured trust, assets um, protected, but... He has loan accounts. Those loan accounts are going to require liquidation of assets on his passing. So make sure that you are protecting your estate in such a way that you don't have to liquidate assets for the next generation. Mm. I think that's very important. You know, we, we often focus so much on, on, on trying to protect on a tax perspective and we don't actually look at the liquidity that we're going to need to, you know, when things happen. So um, thank you, Peter, very much for joining us. And on that note, join us in the next episode when we discuss what insurance you need when you are asset rich, because, of course, being asset rich doesn't necessarily mean you have a lot of liquidity. You've been listening to Smart Money brought to you by Discovery. Get your money right for your life. This is CliffCentral.com.